got All a right. couple pages of notes, rough notes. Couple what? I just got a couple pages, two pages of like rough notes to outline my ideas and stuff. Nice, nice. Well, welcome. This is a Green Iowa podcast, um, podcast about environment stuff hosted by Green Iowa AmeriCorps. And I am Daniel Maginot. I am the Energy and Community uh, Education Coordinator in Des Moines. And we've got Colin Kern and Rachel Surrett. What's up? What's up? What's up? We need like titles. We need like What's that? we need like bigger titles than that. Uh, yo, I'm C Dog. I'm here to teach you about TR Dog. Um, <laughs> I feel like Teddy you were really. Yeah. That's what people called Teddy Roosevelt back in the day. <laughs> we need a, we need an air horn. There was the Teddy Dog before the Teddy Bear. Yeah. Yeah, didn't you say a fact about teddy bears, Colin? Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, who actually, so Theodore Roosevelt, TR, hated the name Teddy to begin with. Yeah, not, I read that too. <laughs> teddy. Um, and like people would do that and he would get upset. And so there's like political opponents would do it and he'd like grumble about it. And actually, yeah, our teddy bears, those little stuffed dudes who probably everyone had someone at some point or at least has seen a teddy bear, they were um, developed kind of you know the story is a little unclear about whether they're being developed beforehand or concurrently or after the fact but right around the time of this hunt, bear hunting uh incident with teddy roosevelt or tr the teddy the teddy bear was born so tr was on a black bear hunting trip uh in the south and they were the people he was with were under strict orders to make sure that tr got the first bear and so that for some reason TR had gotten separated from the rest of them like he was just done for the day or whatever and they, their like lead guy was kept going and they stumbled upon a bear and so the lead guy's like all right I gotta keep this for TR so he <clears throat> he and his dogs like roped up the bear and like knocked it like got the bear kind of phased so then they they bugled for TR uh and TR bugled. <laughs> yeah <laughs> modern day texting <laughs> Maybe they use the yeah, like an air horn effect. And anyway, TR rolls up and he sees it and he sees this like cat, this like scared, frightened bear tied up to a tree that's like dazed because it got hit in the head with like at the butt of a gun or something like that. And he, it's just like this kind of gross scene because TR was all about the sportsman like hunting and great sportsmanship and fair chase. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and this was anything but that really. Um, and so he's like, I'm not. I'm not going to shoot this bear. He's like, just put it down its misery. So they kill the bear. And anyway, the story gets out and then the cartoon gets popularized of Teddy Roosevelt or TR. Um, he's, it's, it's kind of frustrating that I keep saying Teddy. That's like how I knew him and tell this story. Yeah, me too. And then, yeah. So I guess I'll just finish. Uh, anyway, this cartoon gets popularized of TR um, refusing to shoot the tied up bear that someone else had gotten. And then this image of like teddy bear, like, oh, he cares about animals so much. He's not gonna do this thing. He's not gonna hunt, um, got put out there. And then some person who was making like actual stuffed bears, like teddy bears was like, hey, could we use this for marketing? And TR was like, yeah, go for it. So anyway, there we go. The teddy bear was born. I had no idea my oh. teddy bear had such vicious origins. I, I mean, I guess I probably could have put two and two together, but. I had no idea either. And also, little tidbit too, the guy he was hunting with had killed over 3,000 bears in his life. His last name was Collier. <laughs> I can't remember his first name right now. Um, but he was a black man in the South who 
was a runaway slave at one point and then he i i don't know all the details are of like why and in what ways but then he apparently fought in the confederate army and then um got when that was over he went for i don't remember exactly where he was and where when he went there but then he went and just was it he killed his first bear when he was 10 and then over his whole life killed 3,000 bears and uh, ended up leading tr on a bear hunting trip and they maintained like a good correspondence which um that was something i found in reading about tr is he was kind of like a collector of experts in, uh, in the field and experts in things and he gave a lot of uh, attention to and he trusted on the opinions and the uh, experience of experiences of people who are really well versed in their own fields, uh, which is pretty interesting. So I guess well, that's really that, interesting. Yeah. Oh no, I was just gonna say tying that back to like his presidency is that he filled all of his cabinet members and all of his commission heads were his friends, which like today would be so frowned upon, but back then it was like the people he liked the most were the people in power. Yeah. So that I guess that ties from but the then his friends were also like experts in the field. And so he filled his right. positions with like scientists and you know, like so Pinchot, that, that that's one example who who ends up being the leader of the Department of Forestry, was an expert in forestry. Um and so you're right, they, he was very like, yeah, he gave gave his friends pat in the pats on the backs in that way with those positions, but I mean, I think it's also, it's interesting because it's at least when I was reading about him, it was sort of a deviation away from just like getting positions through political appointment and like the, it, a more political arrangement rather than relying on experts. For it, it's mm -hmm. Any of you guys got any fun TR stories that you read into? Um, oh, I have, I have a good one. Um, so this was, this is from the book um, by, David McCullough, uh, and apparently there's a story of while he was president, he went on like this hiking trip with this, with a French ambassador or something. And they were like hiking through the woods and like cross, like just like doing some, I guess, backpacking stuff. And like the French dude who had, had like insisted on like wearing his like gloves, his like fancy uh, aristocratic gloves and like, and uh, I, I find it hard to call him TR. But <laughs> but he was like, why, why are you wearing these gloves? We're, we're in the wilderness. He's like, but what if we run into a lady? And then Teddy was like, touche. <laughs> I feel like that's a good, like, exemplifies who he was as a person. I mean, I think my favorite story is he was, a, he was the one that was shot during a, a campaign speech. And he went on to talk. And he was like, he was like literally bleeding profusely from his side, according to the stories. And he was like, a bullet can't take down a bull moose. And then he gave his speech and then he was like, okay, I'm going to pass out now. I got to go to the hospital. <laughs> it was just like bull moose and carnage. Wasn't, wasn't he shot in like the chest? And I, I had read, so he, when he was a kid, you know, TR wore glass, he wore glasses to see. At one time, he was out doing something and his glasses fell and he couldn't find them. So then he proceeded to always have a backup pair of glasses in his pocket. And the author said that those, that like backup pair of glasses may have helped save his life, which is also just an interesting thing, you know. Huh. Gonna start keeping glasses in my front pocket. <laughs> yeah, bulletproof glasses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a plethora of stories. He's a very interesting character. Yeah, and I, that's something that I found really interesting is he, in, he was such a 
widely popular figure in his time, not by everyone. There was other people who didn't like him, particularly like the lumber interests and uh, Wall Street folks. But he was, he's an interesting collection of like Ivy League trained. He's like trust fund baby, comes from money and prestige. But then he had his ranch out in North Dakota and was in the Rough Rider Regiment and sort of kind of cultivated this like Westerner hard rough image uh, and that is a lot different than what I think a lot of the other folks in his time period who were like <laughs> Ivy League trained and from the East Coast and that he was able to kind of blend these things into this character of Theodore Roosevelt. Do you see those like influences in some of his presidency? Yeah, his I think so. yeah, I mean, he was every everything he did, he was always um, so thinking back to his childhood, you know, he was in, fascinated with birds and other creatures. So he was always collecting specimens. And uh, so when he, in his presidency and in his political life, he always had a fondness for, you know, cataloging stuff. And so he would go on these like cross country tours, like, go visit Yosemite, go visit Yellowstone. And he, while he was going on these tours and he'd be making campaign speeches along the way, he would also be like, doing a side project of like cataloging mice in this area or cataloging the cougars in Yellowstone, right? Did you guys, I, I've read about either of those things, but um, yeah, I mean, I think he was a scientist, he was like, he was a scientist and like Darwin was a huge influence in his life, which we could get into if we want. Um, and that, that showed up in his policy too, in his thinking about conservation is kind of more with a, like a scientific drive to it. Yeah, I feel like the the TR, I'm gonna start calling him TR. I'm used to calling him Teddy, but yeah. now that I know he didn't like that, I wanna like respect his legacy more. <laughs> but I feel like the TR we all know is like such a, this really the, be, what it seems like the beginning of like a really environmentally centered presidency, which up until TR, we, we had like tidbits of that in other presidencies, but he was like the conservation president or like that's how I feel like I learned about him. Do you guys think that like that is true to like how you kind of interpreted him before we like really did a deep dive into who he was? Like, I feel like that's his legacy. Um, I, I, I feel like when I started reading about him, that's sort of, I, I sort of had like the perception overall of, of like sort of like the common legacy or mythology or legend about, about Teddy, which like few presidents really have, like it's like him, sort of George Washington and Lincoln to an extent, and then like a lot of sort of like nameless white people just splattered in between. Um, and um, I think I think more recently I, I started seeing um, more like more like maybe like. I'm not sure if it's like completely accurate, but a more like negative side of like his um, sort of like bullish, warish personality, um, especially like after his presidency when like Woodrow Wilson like tried to like keep us out of World War One, and he's like, no, we need to go to war. Um, and so um, it's sort of like taken me some time to like reshape like my perspective around his character just because there's so much like um contradiction involved and like i mean how he how he did or probably subscribed to like the racism of the day um as well 
um, while being like enormously privileged, um, but also being able to to share some of like the the positive aspects of of sort of introducing the American public to an idea, the idea of like not just taking over the entire continent yeah. to development, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if I articulated that. Well, that is exactly well. something I was thinking about too, is how he was part of, it was kind of like, it seemed like this whole generation of people who were trying to raise the general consciousness about the environment and about the, how we utilize resources and how we preserve them. And I think he was maybe perhaps the most charismatic of them. You know, I'm thinking about people like John Muir and um, Burroughs and John, yeah, John Burroughs and uh, Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, like these kind of these figures who were, had various amounts of popularity at the time. But I think TR was one who in his presidency made that like a national concern um you made it like in a legitimate prospect as opposed to like a a, a hidden corner of like yeah. american culture exactly and his policy what had, were you gonna say rachel no i just i was gonna say that i think his platform was so unique as well like we commented that he had like almost this he created upon himself this like rough legacy even though he was from this like pampered very upper class upbringing ivy educated but then like he decided to like go build a ranch and like was very in touch with wilderness. So I feel like that's such a unique platform to build upon like this policy and his legacy. Yeah. And even how he, he assumed the presidency was like entirely unexpected too, because like, I don't think the party was really behind him at all. (laughs) Really. But they're like, all right, we'll, we'll let you, we'll, we'll let McKinley pick you as vice president. And then McKinley shot and they're just like, oh, well, yeah, I I guess this is what we've got now because he's such a public figure. Like, I think that he was more of a public figure than almost anyone else, any other president before him, really. Um, maybe that's extrapolating too far, but you're right that he was not supported by the party and he was kind of just picked up because they knew how popular he was, particularly in the West. Um, right, and how he sort of reshaped the party around his image as opposed to like subscribing to like the party norms, I guess. Um, and they, I think a lot of them were afraid of that um, as well. Which he after was, I, I mean, oh, no, go saying? ahead, Colin. Oh, I was, I was just curious, like after reading more about him, how has your perspective on him changed? Because for me, like, yeah, there's definitely issues with things that, that he supported and wrote and did. But like, for the most part, I've been really impressed by him. And I'm like, dang like how do i how do i get some of that drive into my own like life yeah i definitely i kind of agreed with an earlier sentiment you had where i was like he i i mean he is like the bull moose but i he was such a bully like in his policy even in his presidency like i feel like truly if i was at the turn of the century i don't i don't know if i'd be i'd be in favor for all this conservationism but like him as a person would probably be a bit too much for me because he was very uh, tough and just like really masculine to like a new degree. I don't know if 
I don't think that echoed as much as like when I watch documentaries they're always a very soft tone about him and like very emphasizing his strength and how like proud he was of himself but it was like kind of a bully at the end of the day which he got a lot done because of it but also like reading his legacy and like what how he changed the presidency is he his whole attitude was just like I'm just gonna push as much as I can through like don't care about what other people think and that's like a very different tone than we've ever had from like another president for a while and that was really interesting learning how he kind of shaped how to use executive orders as well so the more I learn about him the more I'm like would I be a fan of him at the time instead of seeing this him in like this this kind of rose-colored glasses in in our time you know I think it's it makes me wonder about like I appreciate kind of what he got done but yeah if you're right if I was in the era would I have appreciated his process because I I can think about other figures who utilize a similar process but don't go along with the stuff that I'm too much into and it like disgusts me so I do wonder how I would really feel in the moment um the the book the biography I read was uh it was mornings on horseback um and it's sort of by David McCullough and it it sort of didn't it's not a full biography of his whole life it was like how did he become the person that he is so it it more followed his childhood and early life Mm -hmm. um and I think you sort of understand that because he he sort of struggled with like a lot of sickness and asthma and a very sort of like a weak childhood um where he was where he struggled with like just like trying to come into his own um uh and like there were moments when like they they didn't like when he had such bad asthma that like they weren't sure if like he was gonna like survive um and i think that's sort of what i guess how he he like sort of like willed himself out of that and that's sort of not that not in the sense that like that i guess it i I understand the adult more so when you sort of see like the adversity he sort of had to overcome and then like he never stopped trying to overcome everything (laughs) like he just like kept going and you're like there's some a point where you just like have to sit down and like rest but like i don't think he maybe it was like uh, until much later when his when he had a kid die in world war one that he sort of like stopped yeah i mean so yeah let's 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 flesh out tr a little bit more so yeah he grows up he's the son of a wealthy new yorker uh his whole family i think his grandfather made a bunch of money in like glass his mm-hmm. grandfather yeah, like was glass like a US, yeah who got really big into glass and so his family inherited a ton of money and then his dad was uh his family was all well educated his dad did things like supported the development of the museum of natural history in the area and meanwhile his uncle was doing a lot of work with fisheries and trying to repopulate fish stock uh and so he's already got these influences there of like this interest in natural history and conservation and then you're right and then he's got this kind of sickly childhood that he is his family's just having to like deal with his whole life. They're like in that documentary we watched and they say they had like a velvet chair made especially for him because it like wouldn't contain as many things like uh, allergens. So you think he's like in some ways like quite coddled to some degree by in, in his 
youth and he wasn't put into a regular school at first. He was just given like tutors and the freedom to go and explore um, his education more, I think like liberally in a sense with that tutor. Um, and so I think from that, you can see how he would develop uh, this sort of kind of pull. Your, he really was, I, I think, to like a, to some degree, like a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of guy. And like you make yourself get better, you activate, you you advocate for the strenuous life because you see how it worked for you to get out of your illness. And then you see other people in the contemporary world around you struggling with the ills of the city or whatever. And you want to encourage other people to get out there. And then if we look into his conservation work, I think. TR found so much refuge in his youth and his young adulthood in his outdoor excursions. Like that's where he felt best. And that's where he arguably like came over his illness that he wanted maybe to like provide that to everyone else. He saw it as like each of these, these wilderness spaces is a refuge for humans to get out of the dirtiness of the city and the conditions that make, make illness, make you feel bad like he felt in his childhood um, and that's so that's what I guess where I would see his kind of background coming into his actions in adulthood Rachel you look like you're ready to jump in on that <laughs> no no I think that was just like a good tie into like his presidency is where he really ushered in the conservation movement and forced it to be a cornerstone of like what we know today is the coupling between the presidency and our natural environment and I really think like he during his time just started that movement and what I well, what I found really interesting and the more I dived into this I kind of had this overarching idea that he implemented an act or a policy or you know established something but almost everything he did during his presidency was executive orders which is also interesting because he also kind of was the the first president who asserted authority almost solely through executive orders like he started a new precedent with the conservation movement and what he did with his executive orders. I think he, I, ha I have the statistics somewhere, but like he issued more than like, oh, here it is, a thousand executive orders, which is 10 times as much as his predecessor, McKinley. And with, I mean, with that, he did a ton. He established, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it because I wanna be as accurate as possible. He quadrupled the amount of protected land in the US, which is incredible, from 42 million acres to 172. He created 150 new national forests, 18 national monuments, five national parks, and 51 wildlife refugees. And these were almost exclusively through executive orders. So there was no, which I find interesting because I feel like a lot of the times how we come to conceptualize policy in today's age is like through the Clean Energy Act and the Paris Accord. And it's usually like this set of rules and regulations and documents, but he really took it upon himself to like, create these executive orders, which is much more personal than usually a presidency would do for, for policy development. Mm -hmm. And it kind of set, it, it really did set a new precedent for like what presidents can do for, especially things they're passionate about themselves. And I, and like speaking more to his legacy as well. Like, so he did all of this for the conservation movement, right? And then Taft is who followed him up, actually undid a lot, not of, of the creation of lands and stuff, but he undid the executive orders and was considered to be anti-conservationist by the, the masses at the time because he thought that a lot of what TR did was not constitutionally sound. So he wasn't even against what he did, but the way he did it. 
and that was like kind of also a big a big issue at the time of like the constitutional um limits of executive orders of the presidency so i found that really interesting i didn't know tr had that kind of influence and that change like really did shape the presidency both through the conservation movement but how he implemented all of these huge changes which i mean like quadrupling the amount of protected land like we owe all of that to tr i mean that echoes even in today so i found that to be very interesting with his with his policy what do you that guys think that makes me dan you go um, I, I was just going to put in like some of the timeline into context of like, yeah. so Yellowstone was created in National Park in like 1870 or 1872, um, right around, the, and then Yosemite was around the same time. And then, so the, the, the concept of a national park was sort of already becoming, because before that it was just sort of like, there was no concept of like this, it was an idea. And so we sort of like, manifest like that was already manifested so we can have an idea of what that actually means and so um by the time tr came around in his presidency like that idea was sort of like still in the works of like getting established like the national park service was established and but it was like sort of run by the army and then he created like the park service so it was like its own individual branch so like the military can you know, do military things. Well, he also um, legitimized the Park Service too, right? Like he, in that process, yeah. made, protecting it an actual reality because we had these acts and these declarations of spaces as national forests or national monuments, uh, whatever, national parks. But they, then there would be like poaching going on all over of like animals and lumber and other resources. And so that was one thing I feel like it, particularly in TR's presidency that he uh really supported like active management of these places and for like more serious security kind of operation yeah yeah and then he also like expanded yellowstone outside of it and also like yeah so like what what you're saying like um like the the words were written down the laws were there that like you can't kill ant, you can't hunt here you can't mine here you can't use lumber here but like they were just words on a paper a thousand miles away and the people who live there were like well this is land that we use and so there's a lot of you know um controversial disputes there on like responsible management and like the land that like people really you know needed to survive too so like i guess we, we as like from an environmental um approach we sort of view the setting aside of land as like a good thing but like it's not always like that simple it's not that simple um what, what i think this does is sort of like give it give like wilderness its own space and also like um try to counter the the forces that like humans have or like our culture specifically has exploited um as opposed to like, and like, I don't know, that I, I don't want to get on that track too much. Well, I guess one thing I would just add to that note of counter counteracting it is I think it's really interesting with TR and the, the land management of his time and that you're right, we, we're, we're right so far. Right? He put aside all this land for uh, wildlife and just for non-human impact really, or not American impact. 
But at the same time, he advocated for huge American expansion, especially into the West. He wanted to dominate the West. And so with that, to get people into California and Arizona, New Mexico, uh, all those Western states, he also advocated for huge irrigation projects that rerouted rivers and uh, put huge dams up and destroyed natural features and distorted landscapes, while at the same time, he's setting aside this land so that it doesn't get destroyed. And so I think that is an interesting component is we can talk about TR, the conservationist, but we should also talk about TR, the expansionist, who, um, you, I mean, right now, I mean, all the Southwest is like in a drought <laughs> and all those areas are, are kind of, it, in the long, long term, those projects were arguably maybe not the best idea. Um, I know you were commenting on it earlier, Colin, that he had a very Darwinistic approach to the environment. So he was very, I mean, his mindset a lot was of course conservation and preservation, but it also like we dominate the landscape, like we belong to be here first. And I, I think that echoes also like back to the indigenous people, like we were taking those lands. He had zero consideration for the people who were on those lands, like he did not have a good relationship with indigenous peoples or black people. So I think it's like, yeah, it's, he did all these great overarching amazing things for our environment, but it, I think it is really an important distinction to make. Not only was he disrespectful of the environment in some ways, like you just mentioned, mm -hmm. but also it's like the people that were on those lands he completely disregarded and didn't take it into like almost value the land over people. Yeah. I I just, just want to push on one thing there. And that's, um, again, I'm not an expert on this, but from what I was reading, you're right. He was definitely uh, part of this whole structure and society of um, taking land away from Native Americans and also continuing to subjugate African-Americans. But I would say that he was better than lots of folks in his time. And that, like I was reading about his 1904 inauguration, he invited six different Native American chiefs to his, his inauguration. Um, and pur purposely built relationships with them. Yet at the same time, he would also have these kind of social Darwinistic views, particularly about Native American tribes. And he would say, I think this tribe is gonna thrive and succeed into it. And hopefully they absorb the other ones which are inferior, right? And so he had this like cultural dominance. You're definitely right, this cultural Darwinism. Um, and that, that speaks into kind of his ideas about um, US expansion into Cuba and into the Philippines about getting the Spaniards out of there because he saw them as less than Americans, again, not great. Uh, and then the other thing is, yeah, he's definitely was still a part of the whole about the continuing issue of racial superiority and racism in the US. But he did like have Booker T. Washington over to his White House, uh, which got him a lot of political backlash. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I just wanted to add some complexity to his figure, because I think you're absolutely right. We need to acknowledge the pains and the damage and suffering that TR and many other people who we'll talk about and have talked about did um, to different people of different backgrounds and races, but also acknowledge that there are, yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag, right? <laughs> I think, no, I think that's a great way of putting it. Is he's a, he is a very complex character and we also have to take in the context of the time and how he was raised. So I, I think that was, that was very well put, Colin. I, I think with that, like he, he had like a, he still had a, a limited sort of narrow perspective of like what could be done. Um, and he, he, he like propagated like the same um, like 
systems of what you were talking about earlier of like continuing like the the economic and geographic expansion of the country and so like that's continuing along the same path we've been on um since like the beginning um of like always building always always expanding economically always trying to like exert our dominance while also like within that same structure of like oddly like setting aside places where we can't exert our dominance <laughs> like but it's but that that whole idea is within the same structure of being in control of or 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 as opposed to like being a part of the natural world like we are we're responsible for it like we're above it um as opposed to like being a member of it mm -hmm. I read my book described TR as emotionally a forest preservationist, but politically a utilitarian conservationist. Um, <laughs> and how that, I think that speaks to when we see his actions, they come across as utilitarian conservationist and that whole idea of managing natural resources for the best purpose, not, not just for the sake of the environment itself, um, which is, I mean, gets into part of the role of like state building I, I kind of wonder, I don't want to get to like a political theory podcast, I guess, but makes me wonder like it as like a political entity and a political agent, is it even like possible to not kind of get absorbed into those questions about like land management, like you lot or um, yeah, just land management and putting yourself above the land because ultimately you're like making decisions for your constituency and the trees and the animals don't get a vote, right? Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but might be something to explore later. <laughs> like, Very like, insightful. Sort of like, if, 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 if you, if we're trying to manage things responsibly, you can't help but absorb yourself into like the culture, which already has these preconceived notions of separateness, I guess. Yeah. About, yeah. Just about separating humans from the environment, right? About putting yeah. humans above the, the, yeah, human life is arguably in the context of this worth more than any amount of land, like based on the some of the decisions made here. Um, hmm. All right, I guess we should pivot back to TR. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll reflect on my political theory and environmentalism uh, musings. And then in like 80 years, maybe I'll have some stuff that people can read. <laughs> 80 maybe, okay maybe not quite 80 no, I'm, like. I was thinking about how we're we're like doing this podcast on these people who wrote all this stuff 100 years ago and so then I was imagining oh maybe someday I'll write something as neat as TR or John Muir or all these Here other go. people can make a podcast about three youngins how, are going to talk how, about Colin Kern <laughs> yeah how complex of a character I was yeah he yeah uh, <laughs> But I think it, it is, you know, you made a really good point that it's like, it's so easy for us to distill these like larger than life characters into these like broad strokes. And I think it is important to add back in the, the nuances of he was a man, he was a president, he was a father, he was a husband. And like, he had these personal relationships with the environment and these people and these scientists. But it's like remembering that distinction that he, he is so much more nuanced than we can really understand. And plus on top of that, we don't have the context of the day. 
And like, we don't know what it's like, even though it would have been so cool to know what it would have been like to be on the cusp of the conservation movement. And like, I feel like nature and parks are so accessible to us right now because we can hop in our car and drive to one or maybe even, you know, walk to one or maybe you live in nature. But like back then that just like wasn't the case. So it's like, it's important to think about that and like analyze how different like the relationship with the conservation and the environment was and like really what an impact TR made on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think what it was is like, I think those things existed um, in the, but they were more so like under the surface, like nobody wrote about it, nobody, nobody talked about it. Well, people talked about it, but it wasn't published. Um, like John Weir, like, like, and like other sort of, um, sort of na- nature writers, naturalists, um, were sort of like the the cultural activists trying to like make this an acceptable cultural thing for people to do. Um, and it, I think he sort of legitimized that sort of desire. Yeah. When I think about his legacy now upon like our discussion so far and the reading, I would say that's like one of the biggest things TR contributed is just like a like Daniel was saying, like a different cultural appreciation of the land and the environment that all these other people were working on, but he in part just due to his speaking and his writing popularized and then in part due to his actions with land management made that a priority and a reality of now we have a huge national park system to go explore, Uh, which I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, when do I get to take six years off and go to every single place that TR went to, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when is my next African safari? Yeah, when am I going to go? He didn't do this, but I was reading about his journey to the Grand Canyon because he went and looked at it. And like when he saw it, he was like, we have to protect all of this. Um, he had done this like, this like, I don't remember how long it was. In the, it was called the Passport to the Parks is the t- title chapter or chapter title. And he went to Yellowstone uh, for two weeks with John Burroughs and like camped out in Yellowstone and cataloged cougars and other animals while he was there and then he did like a trip down uh to the grand canyon and saw it and it was like blown away by it and then he went through california and then he did his time in yosemite with john muir i'm like man i wish i could take like a six-week vacation and take the train take the personal train out to yellowstone and then i I like i honestly i think that's what tr would want for everyone he would want everyone (laughs) to take at least every couple years take your annual four-week vacation again because that's like what he did he he would work in policy politics and then he would take like a two to six week like big break from it and like just totally shift gears he'd get out into the woods and instead of handling bureaucratic work he was helping catalog the movement of elk or whatever for the some whatever body would be the one that's looking for that so I think that's like an interesting part is he has like a totally different relationship to his work than I think any of us do or that like a, a contemporary politician. Um, like I don't think I don't think Obama ever did like a six week trip to uh, Yosemite to catalog bears and wolves. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a very defining presidency. That's for sure. I got a TR story. <laughs> I, got a, I was reading all about all the White House pets. They had so many pets. It was crazy. They had like mice, guinea pigs. They had three dogs. They had some cats. And this is a funny story. While he was doing this tour of the country and going to all the parks, 
when right when he was about to leave one destination a little girl comes up with a badger like a two-week-old badger that her brother had trapped and she just gives it to tr and tr takes the badger and bottle feeds it through the rest of its like childhood as it's finishing its um he's finishing his travel he comes back and gives it to his son and they named the badger josiah and josiah was one of tr's favorite and so um they used to let josiah just like run around the white house like all these like not all of them, but many of them were just like running around the white house and then he sets up Josiah out in the White House lawn and Josiah just gets to like burrow and build holes and tunnels in the lawn. And he had the, the king of Ethiopia um, gave him a cougar cub. I, I think it was a cougar cub, um, some cat. He gave, also gave him a lion cub and Teddy donated or TR donated the lion cub to a zoo. That was one thing. He would like have these pets for a couple weeks or months or years and then he would donate. Some of them donate to the zoo when they became too, you know, when the cougar became too tough to have around your kids or whatever. Um, but I just got this image of TR running around the White House, like chasing wild animals through the halls with his kids. Cause that's what they make him sound like in the book. And maybe that's really what it was. He, he just had this like kind of chaotic, like animal loving home with his kids. And that's just, I, it's just hard to imagine. It's. So I I have read a lot about his bolsterous laugh that he had like the biggest belly laugh of the time and I feel like that very much aligns with how I how we come to understand him. Yeah, he he was he was probably if he was at a theater like the actors on stage could know when he's that he was there. Like yeah. I I just put it like a whole ho, like a like a Santa kind of laugh. <laughs> yeah. So if we learned anything from the podcast today, it's that. If someone gives you a pet badger, you keep it and bottle feed it, bring it home. And when you're delegating important diplomatic work around the world, you keep petting your dog just like TR would. And I actually, I'm not sure if you're allowed to have a badger as a pet, but look it up. I think maybe on like a, a closing note, I think we can sort of understand um, from like our perspective of the um, sort of like current state of like where our environmental sort of politics are going um, and like sort of like what's under the surface because like all of this stuff before Roosevelt was president it was sort of just like it hadn't really been tapped into yet yeah there were like naturalist writers and people who are like sort of like um, and like activists sort of pushing for something to be done on that. And like, it's, it's different today. Like the, the, the issues are different and, and the, the context is different of like, who doing, of like every, of inclusion is also a, a big element today, but like, we still sort of like have the same um, sort of, undercurrents which haven't like which which still haven't entirely been um i don't know if tapped into is the right word but fully like take it um popularized yeah. i guess i don't know i don't know exactly what i'm or trying to say but i'm trying when i'm, I'm tra hearing oh go, go ahead i was gonna say is what i'm hearing is that in some ways we can kind of see tr as this personification of his his environmental movement this drive to conserve stuff and, you know, whether it's for hunting or all these reasons. And are you saying that right now we also have 
a lot of voices and things developing and yeah like, we, we don't we don't have we don't have tr right now but we have lots of other important voices rising up really important concerns right now and i i for one don't know if we need a tr or if we'll get like a tr um and like that's a good question of like whether it is worth having a huge figure or not um but I, I think maybe maybe some of maybe a difference is is there's there's like no on any of these fronts there's no like leading figure there's just like a bunch of different moving parts um, like yeah. and um, and a, and, a, and a whole different opposition too mm -hmm. um, and I I think it's important in order to like understand the the nuances in the context of the day we can just sort of like think about what's going on right now and 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 we we sort of like oh yeah like i can sort of like it, it certainly like the the forces were different at that time but we could sort of like understand and contextualize it through like our experience on sort of like our own personal um sort of once desires on on in the context of uh, of that or or um yeah i i guess it, it makes it more relatable to like our own experience yeah and i feel like today's conservation movement is really climate change so i feel like we do have all these really awesome figures and i love that they all come from like the people that come to mind are like Greta Thunberg, who's like whatever, a teenager, and then like Dr. Anaya Elizabeth Johnson, who's like a black marine biologist. Like I think it's really cool that today's figureheads are so much more diverse and come from yeah. different backgrounds, even yeah. though TR was awesome. Yeah, we definitely have a broader representation and uh, of folks, and also because. So I guess what I was saying is that in the in the TR time, it felt like TR was the central figure, and then he drew from these other folks. Whereas now you're right, we do have these big figures like Greta Thunberg. Thunberg. You got Ayanna, Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, and we have other people we can all think of to some degree that maybe aren't having as center of a role as TR. But at the same time, now we're getting a broader coalition of voices. We're getting more concerns raised uh, about you know equity and racial and social and economic justice. Um, because it, it, all right, if we pull back to TR, we got the TR stage. And TR is going to pull in the voices he likes and pull in the voices that agree with him. And because of that, some voices get shut out. The voices of not, for, you know, the majority of his the voices being brought up then were a wealthier white men. And now without that and with a broader coalition to some degree, we'll have a broader, yeah, broader source of people to reach and, and connect with and advocate for, I guess. Yes, and I just looked this up. Biden elected the year, or commissioned the first uh, head of the EPA is Michael Reagan, and he is the first black uh, EPA admin. So that's really exciting. Well, and isn't the, the, the interior or the, there's a Native American woman who is lead of the Bureau of Land Management? Is it that one or which? Yeah, it was uh, the Secretary of the Interior, so the Department sure. of the Interior. I read that yesterday, I think. So I thought it was. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. We out. You, the C dog, D dog, and R dog.
<laughs> Talking about TR dog. We out. Full circle. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing us all around, Colin. Happy to.